As kids, we're constantly reminded to avoid waste, particularly when it comes to food. Finishing your plate, not taking more than you need, and wrapping up leftovers are all lessons instilled at a young age. But despite our best intentions, food waste is still a massive issue. Globally, more than a third of all food goes to waste, a figure valued at almost a trillion dollars. And a significant portion of this waste occurs long before any consumer interaction, with producers passing on millions of pounds of perfectly usable produce because it's malformed, overproduced, or simply the wrong color. We are In Good Hands, a show about the businesses and founders solving our climate crisis. I'm your host, Peter Levin, and on today's show, how Avi Ramesh and his company, Misfits Market, are showing us that even ugly fruit can be beautiful business. Avi, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate you having me. So, Avi, let's jump right in. Um, what is Misfits Market and what problem are you solving? Sure. So, the simplest way of describing it is we are an online grocery store and we sell currently ugly misfit produce. And the idea is that there's a tremendous amount of food waste out there today. And you've probably heard about the statistics. They're pretty staggering. Uh, something like 40% of food that we produce actually goes to waste. Um, so we only, the yield is 60%. Uh, and so what we do is we go and aggregate a lot of produce that would otherwise be going to waste for th- reasons that we think are foolish. Uh, and we sell them directly to households and we save them money by doing so. So a box of misfit fruits and vegetables, uh, you can save 30, 40, 50% on that compared to grocery store prices. I need to point out your your background for a second. I saw you were first the founder of an engineering school. What's what's the story for Misfits? How'd you come to start it? And what's the eureka moment? So I was actually apple picking uh, at an orchard. It was my first time. I'd never been before uh, in, in uh, at a farm in eastern Pennsylvania. It's about an hour and a half, hour and 45 minutes away from Philadelphia. And I, you know, I, I've I've started companies before, I've been in the business world, and so my mind always goes to kind of like the business side of things, even when I'm on a farm. And so I was there sort of walking through the orchard picking apples, and I noticed um, the farmer who owned the farm, uh, it's a small farm, would come up, come behind us uh, while we were apple picking with this rolling bin, a huge one, and it would essentially scoop up all the apples that had fallen off the ground, which there were tons in the fall, and dump them into this bin, and every once in a while he'd like grab some from the tree that were scarred or too small and put them in the bin as well. And then towards the end of the day, I saw him rolling the bin into sort of this portable cooler unit uh, and just leave them there and cl- close them. I was just very curious. So I asked him, I was like, hey, what do you do with these apples uh, that you're, you're storing here? Do you sell them to like the, the, the farmer's market? And he goes, no, 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 these are our, uh, these are our ugly apples. Um, and I was like, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, they've fallen. So there's maybe like a small bruise on them or they're scarring or they're too small discoloration. And the grocery stores we work with don't want to buy them because compared to like the really big juicy apples, they just don't look as good. And so, you know, we, we give away some of them to the neighborhood, but at the end of each season, we dump most of them. Uh, and that was sort of like the light bulb moment if there was one, cause I was like, that is insane to me because this is a single small farm for a day, you know, over the course of a day, he probably picked up like, you know, 2000 apples and he's tossing those. What does this look like at scale at a thousand different farms across the country? That was when I started doing a little bit more research. And over the course, of the next probably three months, I reached out to probably like 50 to 60 different farms. I visited 
you know, over a dozen of them myself. I purchased to test kind of like the, the, the supply side. I purchased a lot of this ugly misfit produce myself, rented a van, uh, purchased it, drove it back to Philadelphia. So I did a lot of this manually and I realized like, hey, it's not just a one-time thing. Every single farm across the country suffers from this sort of utilization issue. And there's a tremendous amount of food waste in the system. So we could go turn this into to something. Can you walk me through a typical customer experience and then briefly how you manage behind the scenes? Yeah, absolutely. So the customer experience, we've tried to keep it as, I'd say, as simple as possible. Uh, and so today you go to our site, um, we kind of educate customers on our site about, you know, the, the scale, the size and scale, of the food waste problem, why, what misfits actually are, what does it mean to be purchasing a box of misfit fruits and vegetables? We educate customers around that. But when you actually go through the purchase process, it's pretty simple. You either choose a small box or a large box and you choose your frequency. You can order a single box just for fun, a one-time box, or you can subscribe and, and, and get a box every week. You can get, about a, get a box every other week, but that's about it. You pick the size and you pick your frequency and we handle the rest. Um, so you can email us about allergies or about very specific customization pieces, uh, but you know, on the surface, you just choose size and frequency and we essentially go in on a weekly basis on the back end, we aggregate the, the misfit supply across dozens of farms across the country. And we essentially fill your box up with a well-rounded mix of fruits and vegetables that are all misfits. And we send it directly to your household every week or every other week. Uh, and you save, as a customer, you save between 30 to 50% on your weekly produce bill by buying from us. Wow. That is genius. So can you maybe speak to why, why do you think this is resonating, one, with customers and two, with farms? Definitely. So we'll start with the farm side first, um, because that's kind of where we started while the supply. Today, there is no channel for growers, for farmers to kind of liquidate this type of product. Um, it doesn't exist. And so from a farmer's perspective, what's happening today is, you know, they're spending all this time, energy and money, capital uh, growing you know, produce that no one's buying from them. And so it's not only a wasted income stream, but it's also wasted costs. Uh, and so we essentially approach these farms and we say, hey, all of that misfit produce that we have, whatever it is, we'll buy it from you. Um, and we'll buy it from you at a cost that's like fair and reasonable. And, and to them, it's like, wow, this is an income stream I wouldn't have had before. So um, we've never gotten a no from a farmer or grower before because it's such a sort of obvious pain point for them and it's an obvious yes for them to work with us. And, and we work with them on a, in a very, I'd say, um, kind of like a, a blanket positive way where we say, you know, whatever you have, send it to us or show it to us. And, you know, as long as it's something that's not, you know, rotting or molding or whatever, whatever, as long as it's fit to eat, we will buy it from you and we'll figure out a way to repurpose it. Um, so far, you know, growers have loved that because it's basically another income stream for them. And on sort of a psychological note, they get to see all of their, the, the fruits of their labor, no pun intended, uh, kind of like actually, uh, you know, go and be used by consumers. So that's the farmer side. On the consumer side, I think it's it's two pieces. One, today, people are, are across the world, um, but especially in the US, are, are just so acutely aware of the the, the sort of, environmental problem we face or, or all the problems we face and food waste is one of the major ones today and food waste is related to 
climate change because of just the you know the the amount of resource natural resources that go into growing food and then that food gets wasted uh it's related to emissions it's related to all, all these different sort of top of mind topics uh and so today customer our customers are super aware but the consumer consumers in general are really aware of of the of the scale and magnitude of the food waste problem that's one and then two we sort of combine that with this idea that hey this very fundamental idea that you can also save money and it seems like it's a very you know simple obvious concept but to our customers the idea that you can go solve or, or have a hand in solving this food waste problem and at the same time save 20 30 40 50% on your on your weekly grocery bill those two things combine i think is what makes us resonate so much with the with the end customer at first thought you must think at least as a consumer what an obscure opportunity and getting maybe getting over the the hunch of hey this is food waste is this okay to eat how have you managed to convince customers to kind of get over that inclination or fear i know you you kind of addressed it now but has is there some education or learning curve there yeah it's interesting um i'd say the fastest way to educate a customer is to actually just give them a box um or, or to have them look at other people's boxes. And so, you know, if you go to our Instagram or our Facebook page, you'll see, you know, thousands of photos of, of customer boxes. And the one thing you'll notice most likely, uh, if you haven't seen one of our boxes before, is that things don't look that misshapen or ugly. And that's one of the things we get some, some customers email us very funny comments where they're like, I'm really upset because my box isn't as ugly as I thought it would be. Uh, or my, my, you know, my carrots aren't as ugly as I thought they would be. Uh, and they're joking, half joking. But the truth of the matter is that um, the sort of standards for ugly and beautiful food are just really weird. And, you know, you'll see an apple that's just like a tiny bit too small to be categorized as, you know, the, the, the giant round honey crisp apples that you'll see on the grocery store shelves. And so they're a misfit. Or a lot of times you'll see excess supply where there's truly nothing fundamentally wrong with this and, and there's nothing aesthetically unappealing about the food, but there's just too much of it. There's an overabundant harvest of it, um, grocery chores, grocery change and supermarkets, they're contracting out to buy this stuff 18 months in advance or 12 months in advance. And so, um, you know, if there's a huge oversupply of kale, there's no one there to buy that kale. Uh, and so the, and, and this, these are perishables as well. So there, there's a shelf life on them. So you have to move them quickly. So a lot of our food is excess, but to answer your question more directly, uh, when people see the actual box, they see photos of the box, they very quickly are like, this, you know, this is crazy because none of this looks weird. Nothing's wrong with any of it. Um, so, and, and it's crazy to me that all this stuff would go to waste. And that's when it's very easy to educate someone, you know, that, that they should, they should be a customer of this um, once they kind of see the actual product. In just a minute, how Abby and Misfits Market have convinced thousands of customers to buy ugly produce and what it means to hire misfits from the local community. But before we get there, I'm so excited to tell you about this season's sponsor, Bite Toothpaste Bits. Bite is this totally new take on toothpaste. It's free of harsh chemicals, preservatives, and most importantly, plastic. So instead of the sticky paste and plastic tubes that linger in landfills, you pop a tablet in your mouth, you bite down, and you start brushing. It foams up just like the regular mint toothpaste. And here's the cherry on top. So Bite has never extended a discount on their product before, until today. For the first time, Bite is offering listeners of this show 
an exclusive offer on your first four month subscription. So if you go to bitestoothpastebits.com, you use the code in good hands, you'll get $5 off plus free shipping. So that's code in good hands and see why thousands of customers rate bite five stars. Again, I love my bite toothpaste. They eliminate plastic waste. They use all natural clean ingredients. They don't leave any of that sticky goop all over my bathroom counter. And seriously, we brush our teeth at least twice a day every day, right? We're gonna need toothpaste. So why not choose a cleaner, all natural alternative that's just as effective, if not more, and fun to use. So try out their flagship four month supply at bitetoothpastebits.com, use code INGOODHANDS, and let us know what you think. Now back to the episode. I, I want to briefly touch on the social following. You have tens of thousands of followers. So I think I'd love to hear your opinion on the market more broadly. Do you think that, you know, is, is this a kind of broader reflection of people desiring sustainable goods? How, how important do you think kind of brand is to building effective climate solutions, but also, again, you have tens of thousands of followers. Is this a fad? Is this a longstanding trend? What does it mean? It's a good question. I mean, I think high level, you know, do people desire sustainable goods? Yes. I think the broader, the broader thing people desire is, is to make an impact. And I think every customer, uh, you know, every, every, like the average consumer today wants to feel like they're making an impact when they're making purchases, right? And, and you've seen this, you've seen this when you see like consumer, a lot of different consumer brands, they've added on kind of like the sustainability angle or like the, 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 the one for one angle where for everything that you buy, we'll donate, you know, a pair of shoes or whatever it is. Um, you know, I think part of it's, you know, it serves a marketing purpose, obviously, but, but I really think it's, it's a reflection of, of, of consumer sentiment and that customers don't just want to buy um, to satisfy their own sort of like material needs today. They also want to buy to sort of feel like they're making an impact on, on, you know, towards some larger cause. And I think that is something that we're providing them, not as a marketing ploy, we're actually providing them because by purchasing a box of this produce, you are actually impacting a, a larger cause. You're actually sort of helping solve the food waste problem. And there's something really compelling and, and almost touching about buying a box of produce for 20 bucks and feeling like you're, you're, you know, one box at a time solving this like much larger, larger problem that's, that's hundreds of billions of, of tons of produce or whatever it is. Right. Um, so I think that is, that's kind of like the essence that that's what we're capturing. Um, and I don't think that is a fad. I think ultimately, um, consumer products and consumer purchasing will be driven in that direction more and more where it's sort of people will care about companies with missions. They'll care about purchasing with a purpose. I think those are trends that are, that are like long-term sort of secular trends. Um, so I think, so I think that's one huge part of it. The other kind of like economic trend, I think that, that our, that our company and our product is, is, is behind is this idea that um, there are certain categories that e-commerce hasn't really tapped into yet. And I think grocery is one of them, food and grocery. Um, and if you look at a lot of the really, really big e-commerce players, um, that's a category they're spending a lot of time in. Uh, you know, if Amazon could wave the magic Amazon wand and solve 
one vertical today, I bet it would probably be grocery. Uh, hence this massive Whole Foods acquisition. If Walmart could solve, you know, one of these categories, it'd probably be grocery as well. Hence the jet.com sort of transition towards grocery and what Walmart's doing online as well. Uh, and so a very, very small chunk of grocery shopping has moved online today. Yet offline grocery shopping is a massive market um, globally and, and especially in the U.S. So there's this massive trend around pushing more and more grocery and food purchases online. And, and no one's really been able to do it today. What do you think is the biggest roadblock to people executing against that opportunity? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think grocery is grocery is specifically challenging because you are well. One, it's it's extremely capital intensive um, in terms of building out the logistics, operations, and supply chain side of things. Um, everything has to be refrigerated always. Um, and it's not just about keeping something cold. It's about keeping temperature constant over time because temperature fluctuations can affect food just as much as like, um, you know, hot temperatures by themselves. So there's this huge kind of issue around the, the capital expenditure required to, uh, to maintain this idea of the cold chain over time. Um, but I think more broadly, the challenge with, with grocery and, and food is that it is by definition a low cost, low margin item to begin with. Then you add on the significant upfront, you know, capex required to go build the operations. And then you have to somehow translate that to value to the end customer. And you have to be like, hey, you can save money by doing this or, or whatever else by, by shopping online. I think that those three things are really hard to do, which is why, you know, it's tough. It's been tough to do to date. Uh, we think we can do it for a lot of different reasons and, and we're solving the operations and logistics and supply chain side of things. We also think we can save people money, um, pretty substantially. So, so we kind of think we can do it in a way, in a way where, you know, where other people have failed. Um, but it is a very challenging proposition. Can you speak to what has been the impact of misfits to date? Maybe pounds of, of misfit food rescued or repurposed, dollars saved. So we, we put out an Instagram post about this recently, but we calculated, and this is rounding down, uh, but we have rescued about 5 million pounds of produce to date, um, which is, it's almost like, I you know, I run the company day to day, but I don't actively think about those numbers. But if you, the amount of 5 million pounds of, of food is, it's a massive, massive quantity of food. Uh, and this is all, this is produce that, that you know, just wouldn't make its way out of the system otherwise. And we figured out a way to, to not only get it out of the system, but also to, um, to, to give it to people and allow them to save money on it. Um, so, the, you know, that number is staggering to me. And, you know, we're a company that's, um, we're not even a year old yet. We will be a year at the end of the summer. So it's, it's, I think it's a testament to sort of our amazing customer base, our amazing rock star team, um, and just some of the sort of, ideas that we discussed before in terms of like how this resonates with with people around the country but um yeah we've we've rescued about five million pounds of produce um there's that that piece of impact and then you know uh, there's things that i'm proud of as well as a business we we employ uh over 220 people uh, today and our our hq is kind of in the in the philadelphia suburbs um and you know a lot of those folks that we employ in the warehouse are are, are folks that um, they're misfits in their own in their own way, and that um, you know some of them are formerly incarcerated, and you know a lot of the local employers don't necessarily give them a second chance on the employment side. And we kind of view it we view our broader mission as sort of this idea of 
of repurposing misfits in all shapes and, and forms. And food is 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 you know what we're repurposing and sending to our customer base. But there's also this interesting element of like there's a ton of of uh, of misfit people out there that feel like society has you know given up on them for some reason or another. Um, and those are folks that we we sort of welcome with open arms and 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 work at our facility in, in Philadelphia. So those are just a couple of things that I think we've we've accomplished. I have to ask, you know, over 200 employees, right? You've saved roughly 5 million, if not more, pounds of misfit produce. In, in the driver's seat, what has it been like scaling the company to this size and this scale in less than a year? Yeah, I haven't slept in 11 months. <laughs> no, I, I mean, in all seriousness, I think it's, it's, um, it's, been, it's, been, a, it's been an adventure for sure. Uh, it's been a it's been a roller coaster. Uh, there have been, as you can imagine, like very stressful times, and then there are times where you get to sit back and reflect and and say, "Wow, that's that's amazing!" And how far we've 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 come. Um, but overall, it's just been an amazing experience. And to me, it's this is this is sort of day one for us, um, just the beginning. And so we're incredibly excited. At uh, you know, we just moved them to a new distribution center a few weeks ago. So we're incredibly excited about what we can do. Uh, over the next few years as we continue to tackle this mission uh, at a larger scale. Hats off. Um, what What's next for Misfits? What's What's the moonshot here? Yeah, so, you know, we are focused on a, on a, on a very small sort of set of geographies today. Uh, we, we service this, all the states from Pennsylvania to Maine, essentially the, the Northeast and New England. And we see, you know, we see ourselves as uh, a national brand. Um, and so on the radar in the sort of short to medium term is, is a pretty significant geographic expansion uh, throughout the East Coast uh, to the West Coast of the, you know, the Midwest as well. So as part of that, we'll be opening, opening up a handful of new distribution centers across the country in strategic locations. We're going to be opening up in in dozens of new markets, uh, you know, over the over the next year or so. And the idea is is for this idea of, is for Misfits Market um, around the tenets of affordability, accessibility, and sustainability to be a national brand in food. In a perfect world, uh, Misfits is now nationwide, serving communities large and small. What is the potential kind of some impact of Misfits? There are tens of millions of households in the U.S. that struggle to, you know, forget eat healthy or eat affordability, but struggle to eat, period, and, and have access to, uh, to affordable food, to healthy food, to fresh produce. To us, fresh produce is like, um, you know, we, we walk across the street to like a Whole Foods or Trader Joe's and, and we, see, we see a ton of fresh produce. But there's, you know, close to 35 million households, I think, in the, in, in the U.S. that are in designated, census-designated food deserts. They don't have grocery stores across the street. They can't. They can't drive to one. They can't walk to one. So I think at the very least, we have the ability to impact, you know, 35 million households, but but hopefully significantly more than that in terms of our mission of essentially providing affordable access to, to healthy foods and also solving this massive food waste problem. All right, Avi, that that concludes the main portion of the interview. Um, this is my favorite part of the show. It's the lightning round. Um, ask a couple questions. Try to answer it in a minute or less. Ready to go? So first question for you is, if you weren't working on Misfits, where would you be experimenting? Yeah, so um, 
you know, I've done some stuff in education, doing some stuff in food now. Uh, the other industry I'm, I'm fascinated by is, is healthcare. Uh, one, because I think it's dramatic, very, very broken. And two, because it happens to be that third category besides food and education that impacts every single human being on the planet. Um, and so, you know, I would love to one day go tackle a massive, massive problem in healthcare. Uh, I think one of the problems is that the problems are really massive and they're very complex as well and have a lot of red tape around them. But I'd probably spend some time in, in, in the big, bad world of healthcare. And now, I, I mean, this, this will be interesting because of how fast you guys are scaling. In the context of hiring, what is your favorite interview question and why? So one, one thing that I ask often, which I think have, has been really illustrative of, of uh, kind of personality traits is, so I essentially say, if you're to join, if you're joining the company today, where do you think you would make the most impact? And so the reason I do that is because I think at, at early stage companies, roles and titles don't really mean much. Um, and, and a lot of times we're looking for well-rounded athletes who can do a lot of different things really effectively. And so though I may say like, hey, the role is uh, you know marketing manager, when I get someone in the room, I'll, I'll say, hey, here's the business today. Here's all the struggles we have. Here's a tour of the warehouse. Where do you think you can have the most impact? Um, and it's interesting to see whether people kind of like put themselves in a single category or whether they actually put themselves in an entirely different category from the role that they were originally interviewing for. Um, but that's been an interesting one for me. Another question is, if you had the opportunity to invest in another company in the industry, um, it could be food waste or more broadly access um, to food. Um, is there another company that you would invest in and why? That is um, that is an interesting one. So I'm blank on the name of this company, um, but we can, we can kind of look it up look it up later. But there, there's a company that um, essentially specializes in, it's a meal kit company, but they essentially focus on meal kits for people with certain healthcare, like certain medical conditions. Um, so as opposed to like a Blue Apron or a Sun Basket meal, um, this is actually a meal kit. They'll have one for someone who is diabetic. They'll have a meal kit for children with epilepsy that have to be on ketogenic diets. Um, and, and they're also low cost meals. So they don't try to like make a gigantic premium on them. Um, I found, I'm blanking on the name. I will find it, but I find that, that to be a really fascinating business because they, they've essentially taken, um, what meal kits have kind of commercialized more broadly and have applied it to a very specific set of use cases that I think are, are very meaningful around like medical conditions. So the last question of the lightning round is who has had the greatest impact on your learning and why? I probably point to my parents, uh, which is kind of a cliche answer, but, um, they're, they're both entrepreneurs as well. Um, they're, they're immigrants. They moved here from, uh, from India when I was really young, raised me here. Uh, but I think, you know, even today when I, when I think about the way I think about business and entrepreneurship and taking risk, I think a lot of the things that my parents did when I was young, taking a massive risk and like leaving their entire families in a different country to move here. I think they kind of translate over and there are a lot of lessons that I learned there. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that's probably a short answer that's from awesome. my parents. Well, there you have it. Avi Ramesh, founder and CEO of Misfits Market. That was amazing. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks for being on the show. Wow, folks. How about that for an episode? Abi, thank you so much for coming on the show. And to Nikki for making this episode possible. Thanks to all of you for listening. Seriously, thank you for giving us a little bit of your time today. If you enjoyed the episode, 
please consider subscribing and writing us a review. It really does mean a lot to us. And sincere thanks to Byte for sponsoring this season of In Good Hands. I need to give a special shout out to Lucas Arndt and Dan Mahoney, who produced this week's episode, Javier Quinones, who designed our creative, and our music director, Eddie Knuckles. I'm your host, Peter Levin, and if you'd like to recommend a guest, sponsor an episode, or help spread the message, you can find us on social at InGoodHands or our website, InGoodHands.us. Again, huge, huge thanks to all of you for your support. We really do appreciate it and can't wait to bring you another new episode next Tuesday. <laughs>